There is something about that name if you belong to him. There's also something about that name if you don't. It's troubling. Allison and I were talking and praying as we were coming over here. We usually pray on Sunday mornings as we're coming and asking for the Lord to move in hearts. And we're just thinking about how that we need to focus on our relationship with Jesus and let everything else flow from that. All the service that we render, all the activities that we do, the things that we say, especially our relationships with other people, not the other way around. A lot of times something happens, negative, like we lose a job or, uh, or, or we have a conflict with someone, and then we run to Jesus and say, how am I supposed to handle this? But generally, when we get there, we've already made up our mind anyway, and we just say, Lord, put a stamp on this, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go accordingly. But if our relationship with Jesus is first and foremost in our hearts and minds, then everything should flow from that. What a difference it would make in all that we do and in all the ways that we interact with other people if Jesus were to us what we just sang about. There is indeed something about that name. You know, our family likes to talk about favorites. If you gathered at the tally house with us, maybe say Christmas or Thanksgiving, something like that, more than likely you'd hear someone being asked this or maybe you would be asked, what are your five favorite movies of all time? You know, and then somebody would say, well, what kind of movie? Comedy, drama, what are you talking about? What are your five favorite books that you've ever read? What are your five favorite? We like lists like that. You know, we just ask those kind of lists and then we have to think about it. So let me ask you a question this morning. What is your favorite book of the Bible? In fact, on three, tell me what your favorite book of the Bible is. One, two, three. Okay. I heard a few that I, I expected to hear. Philippians, John. In the first service, Burt Wallace, pray for this man, said, Amos. I'm thinking, Amos? <laughs> is that with or without Andy? I don't know. I mean, Amos, you know, one of the minor prophets. Minor prophets are awesome, by the way. Um, all the verses that you've never been able to quite find they're in, that you've heard and that you know, they're in the Minor Prophets. It's just over and over you find that to be true. But I just didn't expect Amos, you know, to come out from somebody. Well, <clears throat> I know John. I think I heard John. Philippians, yeah. I mean, Philippians was for a good while my favorite book of the Bible. I think Chad said Philippians. Um, <clears throat> how, how do you pass on, 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 on Romans or Psalms or Proverbs. It may depend on where you are at a particular time of your life, but then there's Genesis, you know? A lot of people would say Genesis is my favorite book because it's where everything begins. How many of you would say that your favorite book of the Bible is Acts? Anyone here that would say Acts? Not a single person. There was someone in the first service. He was two years old. <laughs> you know what? I agree. Acts is not my favorite book of the Bible. In fact, I was challenged many years ago to read through the Bible every year, and I did that for many, many years, not, not doing it of late and need to get back to it. But every time when I would come to the book of Acts, almost every time I would, you know, I'd finish the Gospel of John, and it, it's kind of like, okay, Acts. You know, I know the stories in here. I know the things that happen. That was 
when I began the book of Acts. Every time, not some of the time, every single time I came to the end of the, the book of Acts, I was just wildly on fire for the Lord, in love with Jesus, excited about living this life that requires all of who you are. It's not a sort of let's play at this. It's come on, let's get serious. And when you see all that happens in the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit moving so mightily in the lives of so many people. It can't help but excite you about what's possible in your life with Jesus being in charge of your life. So, even if you say, okay, we're going to spend how many months in the book of Acts? And you may not be excited. I imagine that when we come to the end of this study, you're going to be pretty fired up about serving the Lord. It just has that effect over and over and over. Well, we talked about Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, it's important to understand right at the beginning of this series and right as we begin this study in the book of Acts that it continues the work and teaching of Jesus that we read about in the Gospels, that we read about in the Gospels. <clears throat> Acts was written... In fact, by Luke, who wrote the first one of the Gospels, excuse me. The third Gospel is the way we, we put them out. And, and, and Acts is really just a continuation of what was already begun in, in the book, book of Luke. So it's like Acts-Luke, or, or excuse me, Luke-Acts is a, is a series, it's a combination. You can read one without the other, but they're best understood one on top of another. And, and it tells about the way that the Holy Spirit continued and continues today this work and teaching and ministry of Jesus that was accomplished in His time on the earth in the first century. But the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus is continuing today through the power of the Holy Spirit and through our lives. There's so much more to say about the preparation for study in Acts, but uh, let's stop and read our text, which happens to be the first eight verses of the first chapter of Acts. I will be reading from the ESV, and as is our custom, would you please stand as we read the word together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Our Father, <clears throat> this is a, 
a powerful verse that we have just read. And even though we won't think so much about that today, we, we will be thinking about it through this entire study of the book of Acts. You have called us to be witnesses, just as you did your 11 disciples at that time. And then it, then it moved on out and it, and it continues to, to command us, inspire us, encourage us to be your witnesses. Lord, in preparation for that, as we look at this, at the introduction of this beginning of this awesome and exciting book, we pray that you would stir our hearts and that we might find the full and genuine life that so many found in the first century. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks and be seated. <clears throat> how much can you learn from this study in the book of Acts? Well, how much do you want to learn? It's just like so many things in life. You will get out of this study what you put into it. In addition to what is shared here on Sunday morning, we're going to be studying this at a much higher level in the home groups. Uh, all the home groups are going to be following a study that was put together several years ago by Tim Keller, who is the pastor of Redeemer, teaching elder at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. If you've ever heard of Tim Keller, if you don't know that name, you should. He, he wrote a book five or six years ago in response to all the atheists th th who were writing books attacking the existence of God, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and those guys. Tim Keller wrote a book called The Reason for God. Uh, he also has written a book called The Prodigal God, which everyone, everyone, especially if you grew up in church, everyone ought to read that book. And how we tend to be like the older brother in the story of the prodigal, the, the prodigal son. It's really the prodigal, the extravagant God who pours out his grace on us is the point Keller makes. Well, he's written this book, uh, or excuse me, written a study for his church back about five or six years ago on the book of Acts. And we're going to be following that study in our home groups. What is preached here on Sunday morning will not necessarily coincide, though we will stick with the, the text that he's using so as to stay pretty much on the same track. I would have probably gone through verse 11 or 14 this morning if, if I were just choosing my text, but we're going to follow along those lines. There's so much to talk about this morning when, with, with regard to the book of Acts that I don't know where to begin. Actually, I do know where to begin. I just don't know where to stop. So actually, I'll, I guess I'll stop when the last person leaves. Uh, but I'm sure that you and I will have a nice time for a while after all the other uh, less spiritually minded people have gone, but it's just you and me. Actually, in the first service, I found myself finishing almost too soon, and uh, I, I, I was very surprised about that. As, my, as I was thinking about what to put together here this morning, my head was just exploding with, what do you say about the book of Acts? Actually, I find myself in a different place than I usually do when I come into the book of Acts. I'm really excited because I've, I've, I've seen it happen enough times that I move from being, uh, okay, to the end being so motivated to serve the Lord uh, that I... I um, am really excited about this. You know, what, what happens when you study the book of Acts is it takes us all over Scripture. We'll be in the Gospels today. Uh, it, it informs what's going on in, the, in, in Acts. 
the speeches, the sermons that are preached in the book of Acts, go back to the Old Testament. We're going to see some of that all over the place. It informs the way the epistles are written, or the epistles make more sense when we understand the book of Acts and vice versa. If you will put the effort into it, this study in the book of Acts will help you to understand the Scripture, understand the Bible a whole lot more as a whole than you ever have before. It's like a, 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 a very important piece of a puzzle. You ever been working a puzzle and you're just sort of stuck on a particular section of that puzzle? And then, and then you get a piece and you say, oh, okay, this piece goes here and then everything starts to move after you've put that piece in. Well, the Acts is like that. It's a very important piece of the puzzle of understanding Scripture. A lot about interpretation of Scripture that we'll think about as we go through this. Now, before we go any further, I want to share a list of seven truths or principles that we're going to see repeatedly in the book. These are going to be up on the screen later, but if you, if you want to put these down, I know some of you write these down. If you want to, I'd suggest that you start writing right now. Uh, and after we look at these, we're going to look at the principles that... Um, See how these principles are played out in, in, in the first eight verses of the, of the book, for goodness sake. And then we'll see them all over the book of Acts time and again as we go to it. Let me just uh, <clears throat> uh, say this is before we even start thinking about these principles. The book of Acts is one of these places in Scripture. It really happens everywhere, but we see it fleshed out in Acts that we are invited to be all in. Jesus calls us to radical commitment to Him and to one another and to those outside of our body. He calls us to radical commitment. And so many times we just sort of play at it. In fact, how many people are in church this morning who just kind of play at Christianity? I was at um, <clears throat> Chapel Hill yesterday. Now, I, I, I imagine we have some football players in here, and let me... First of all, say, I'm so sorry. I know some of the athletic department people are here. At Campbell, I had these season tickets long before Campbell was thinking about reintroducing football. Um, and, and I'm going to get to the games that I can, but I'm, on, I'm in Chapel Hill on, on Saturdays. And one of the things that I, I love to do, because I was a drummer in the high school band, I love to listen to the drum line. They play an hour and a half in front of the student center before the <clears throat> games. And I remember when they started this about five years ago, there'd be a few band members who weren't on the drum line, and uh, they'd come over, and, you know, they'd start moving with the, with the drum. You know, they'd do this and you know, stuff like that. And um, then that, that number just grew and grew and grew, so now there are about like 50 people out there, and they're into it. Now, I was just giving you a little taste, and I'm going to feel like an idiot, but that's what you got to do when you do it. You know, I mean, they're into it. You know, they're doing all this stuff right here. Well, yesterday, and, and, and yesterday I saw something really interesting. There's this, um, about three people, these people have been jiving for a while now, and two or three come out of the building, they, the, the, the student center there, they come running out, and, and some of them put their stuff down, and they just jump right into it. Well, there's this one guy who's kind of doing this, you know. He's like, oh, oh, I can't believe it. So he puts his stuff down, and he's doing this. 
Now, you may think that these guys look like idiots. No, who, you know who looks like an idiot? This guy. Do it or don't. And that's the message of Scripture. And we see it in the book of Acts more than any other place in Scripture. If we're serious, this is a full-on commitment that we're called to. This life of following Jesus. And here's the way it plays out. Here's what we see in Acts over and over. The importance of theology in the advancement of the gospel in the kingdom. Now, this list could have been 20 points long if we wanted to talk about theology. We see a lot of theology in Scripture, like the Trinity, the place of the Trinity in the advancement of the gospel. We see um, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. See that? There's a lot of theologies, but, but the principle is the importance of theology in the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom. Secondly, the importance of theology in relation to our spiritual experiences. In other words, just think about it when you say something like, ah, you know, I don't like to read the Bible that much, but I sure love to pray. No, theology, truth, the truth of Scripture informs everything that we do. And we're going to see this. Over and over, even though there's a lot happening, experience related in Acts. Third, the call for all Christ followers to share the gospel with the lost. All of us are called to do that. One of the great things about home group is that we get to share it as a group. Not only do you have people encouraging, but when you invite people into your home group and maybe there's someone who doesn't know Jesus, you get you get this group effort. You, you, don't you feel more confident in a group than you do one-on-one? Well, we're all called to share Christ, but we're called to share Christ together. And then fourth, the absolute necessity of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit in all kingdom matters. Is the, is, is the Holy Spirit going to move? And is kingdom work going to be accomplished whether we pray or not? Well, yes. Again, God is sovereign, but this is the way that he's chosen to do it. And we're going to see in Acts 4, like we see in a lot of places in Acts, even though it may not be stated this way, they prayed and the place, and the, and the, they prayed for boldness in proclaiming the word, and the power of the Spirit came on them, and the place was shaken. We see that connection. Fifth, the call for all Christ followers to fully share their lives with one another. Again, all in or not? I mean, we're going to see very soon that these guys were radical. They sold everything that they had and gave to those who were in need. And I've picked out six people that I think the Lord is telling me should do that. No, I'm just kidding. But see, that's, that's the silliness of saying, well, the Spirit's leading me to... That's an extreme case. Except for Peter Pio, I think he needs to. No, wait a minute, he doesn't have anything anyway. So, <clears throat> so we won't we will pick on Peter. We'll pick on somebody who's got some. The need, number six, to open our arms to welcome new members into the body of Christ at Grace Community Church. Look, I'm talking about principles and acts. I couldn't help myself. I had to put Grace Community on this one. 
I think some of our home groups are, are becoming, we're going to become victims of our own success. There is a level of intimacy at some of the home groups that is just phenomenal. In fact, some of you are closer with people in your home group than you thought you would ever be with somebody that you just met two or three years ago. And there's this family relationship there that is just astounding. And the temptation is to say, you know, if new people come into this group, we're just not going to be able to have this same level of intimacy. Well, i got to tell you, in the church of God, we're going to see this over and over. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. God is constantly, and we constantly have to be doing like this. Hey, come in. Come, hey, come in. Now, I recognize there are certain things that... Um, you know, we tend to, we tend to congregate uh, demographically. We, we congregate by area, by age, by interest, stuff like that. If you're the only one in your group that doesn't have children, you know, <clears throat> maybe you're not going to feel the same as the others in the group. And maybe you, you're even more comfortable in another place. We've designed our home groups where... They're not really designed, I mean, you, I guess we could have some groups like this where if, if, there was, if there was an interest where families are all together, you know, the kids are in there as well. But really, you can't talk about things at the same level when your children are in there than when they're not. Maybe that some professors want to meet without students, and you don't want to be in there anyway. I mean, there may be some of those kinds of things that are going on, but there are plenty of places for students, my goodness, Went to David Calvert's home group last week, Allison and I did, because there was a cookout. I mean, because I wanted to meet these <clears throat> people. It must have been 22. I was counting, trying to count. 22, 23, something like that. That group needs to, if, if, if you keep coming at that level, we're going to have to multiply. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I mean, we're losing something, but who knows what we're gaining by opening our arms. And sometimes it's not as good as it was, but you know what? The kingdom of God is more important. And we have to constantly be saying, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to what God is doing in the world and particularly at Grace Community Church. My goodness, uh, Scott and Keisha Culberth, what an example. They're not here in this service, so I can brag on them. Uh, they were in a group, and if you're still in that group that meets with Sean, you know what I'm talking about. It's awesome. I mean, there is a communion there that is, that is very, very deep. They moved to start a new group. They love the people that they're with, but they're missing something that they left behind. I am so impressed with that. They've never said a word about, oh, man, we miss our group. All I ever hear is about how awesome the people who are in their group are. And you know what? It's kind of like you start over, though. When you start a new group, you start over with that care and that intimacy that you had back then. But God will build it again. And it's going to happen over and over and over. You know what happens if we get stagnant? We die. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, if you hang with this group for 10 years that you'll start not liking each other, like family, you know, that spends too much time together, that kind of thing. That's hopefully not the case at all. But just if, if the Lord multiplies us this year, and why wouldn't He? We're studying the book of Acts. This is where it happens. We're going to be motivated to be reaching out to people.
and saying, come and see what the Lord is doing. Things change. It's just the way it is in life, isn't it? Everything changes. Sometimes the changes are difficult. Sometimes they hurt. And I do believe God wants us to have great joy in our walk with Him and great joy in this life. I think it was, was it Scott Shambly a while ago praying about the marriages and the things that he, he said I thought was awesome. And, um, um, well, it's between what Scott was saying and what, what Sean was saying when he said, Lord, help us to remember that not only are we meant to be happy but holy. Marriages are meant to make us holy. That's true. I do think, though, God wants us to be happy as well. I think there ought to be joy in our relationships with others, but things change. And don't allow changes to discourage you, but to say, God, what are you doing? Just like Scott and, and Kisha moved right out. Said, because I believe this is what the Lord's doing. He's wanting to multiply us. And we got two awesome families and more. Two awesome families sitting in this service today because Scott and Kisha moved out to open their arms to others. Well, seven, the need to protect the unity of the body. It is, this is, after all, the body of Christ. When we think about, we talk about the body of Christ, we always think about the universal body of Christ. But almost always in the New Testament, when the body of Christ is talked about, it's talking about the body of Christ at Corinth, the body of Christ at Ephesus, the body of Christ in the different places. This is the body of Christ and it's not a matter of, well, you know, if don't get along here, I'll just go somewhere else. That's, that, New Testament knows nothing about that. This is our family. We're family. And there's a need to protect the unity of the body. Well, we'll come back to those a little bit later. My goodness, you had time to write them six times, I believe. Um, let's look at the, at the text and think about kingdom matters for a bit. As we've already mentioned, uh, this is part two of a series of lessons written by a man named Luke to a man named Theophilus. Now, Luke, we know because he wrote the gospel, the third gospel. And, and I spent a whole lot of time talking about why we think Luke wrote this, who he was, who Theophilus was. But it really, you, you may get into that in the, in the home groups a little more in depth. And, and, and by the way, we're going to be following, I think maybe this is in my notes later, so I'll skip it later, but... We're going to be following not what is said at the home groups, but we're going to follow the same text. Um, so uh, you may be studying this a little bit more this week, and, and maybe not, depending on how the leader wants to take the group. Um, Luke was almost certainly a physician. Colossians 4, 14, Peter calls Luke the beloved physician. There are times in the book of Acts where Luke is writing in the plural. We did this. We did this. There are times where Luke is with Paul on some of his travels. He wrote to a man named Theophilus, almost certainly a man of some social standing. Was he a Roman official? Could have been. Maybe not. Some have suggested it's you know, sort of a general name. It's written as an apologetic for Christianity. Most likely, Luke was writing to an individual who was either a Christ follower or maybe... Maybe he wasn't. Maybe, maybe he was a Christ follower and he was trying to explain more fully the working of teachings of Jesus and how the church just caught fire in the early days. Tell him all about it. Or 
maybe he was witnessing to this Theophilus. Maybe Theophilus was interested in Christianity and Luke was trying to explain all of this to him. <clears throat> it's quite clear in any matter that Luke was a careful student of history. For him to introduce these two studies the way that he did indicates that he believed everything he wrote to be factual, especially from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Um, Luke indicates how he came to the conclusions that he got. It's, it's nearly impossible to believe that Luke was concocting a story in order to advance a particular religion. And we, we know that from the internal evidence of the books and also from <clears throat> historians who have studied the book of Luke somewhat skeptically saying, well, you know, this is just all... Part of this is going to be true and part not. And then they dig into it and they start looking at real history and the events are, are, are spot on. Luke was writing history. And it's clear that he believed everything that he wrote. You know, our approach to the Bible needs to be the same way it is to Christianity. Um, as we talked about a little while ago. I mean, how is it that you believe part of the Bible and not, part, not the other part? Are you smart enough to figure that out? I, mean, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you can believe in anything. <laughs> Why do you say, well, I believe that? Because you have to believe that in order to be a Christian. But that Red Sea business, you know, Israel walked through, Egyptians were drowned, can't believe it. So read Sea anyway. I mean, how do you do that? It's far more miraculous to me that God drowned the Egyptian army in a creek than, you know, the other. I, how do you believe some, how do you know, how do you figure out what's true and what's not? It's clear that Luke believed every single thing that he wrote. Luke began the second letter to Theophilus by saying that in the 40 days that Jesus, between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension back to heaven, he proved that he was alive and he taught his disciples about kingdom matters. The way that Jesus proved that he, he was alive is very interesting. He came in and out of their lives. If he had been there the whole time, <clears throat> they may have said, wow, you know, something must have happened. There must have been something in the atmosphere because we're not smoking anything. But for some, we've seen this apparition. We've, you know, we just, there's a psychological. But Jesus was in and then he's out. And then out of the blue, when they don't expect it, he comes walking through a wall or something, you know. And I mean, he's just there. So Jesus is proving to be alive, but then he's teaching them deeply. Now, because Luke acts go together, we can get a sense from the book of Luke what things Jesus was teaching these apostles, these disciples during this time period. In Luke 24... 44 to 47, Jesus said to his disciples, there's overlap here. He said to his disciples on one of those occasions, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's what He was teaching them about. 
Now, when we come to the story of Pentecost, what happened on Pentecost Sunday uh, in just a few days, a few weeks, two weeks from now, when we read this story at Pentecost, we're going to um, have all different kinds of ideas about exactly what happened. I, I would think, if, you, if, if you've really not ever thought about it, you almost see Peter in a trance just telling the truth of God because people are speaking in languages they don't know. You know, they're speaking in tongues. <laughs> but they're telling the truth of the gospel. It's not that they were in a trance and that the Holy Spirit did everything. Jesus had been teaching them exactly what the gospel is. He was saying, all of the Old Testament was pointing to me. Here's the story of the gospel. This is how, this is what I want you to understand. This is what you need to be telling to the world. And when Pentecost came, that's what they did. They told it. But the power of the Spirit was on them in a great way. And so kingdom work, as we've already seen, is accomplished through prayer and through the power of the Spirit of God. So, Jesus began during this time to help His disciples understand how His life, death, burial, and resurrection was foretold in the Old Testament and how it comes down to the gospel. It all comes down to the gospel. And the gospel tells us that salvation is possible through repentance and forgiveness of sins because of Jesus' death on the cross. When we repent and believe, we're saved. We'll see this truth, of course, shared many times in the book of Acts. And we'll find that while everything, there's so much to know in the Christian life, it all starts with the gospel and the gospel spreads out, just like we were talking about earlier. Focus on Jesus and then let everything flow from there. It all starts with the gospel and it all flows from there. And everything is gospel related in this life. One of the things that we'll find, <laughs> and this may be quite an encouragement to some of you, is that the gospel is very divisive in a lot of places. Many of you come from homes where your parents are saved, your siblings are saved. Everyone in the family is a Christian almost. Some of you come from homes where that it. It, it, the exact opposite is the case. My daughter, Autumn, had a, a roommate who was just like a part of our family, Tejal Patel. Tejal is from India, and she grew up here, so she sounds, I would always think it was Autumn on the phone when Tejal, when I would call and Tejal would answer, and I'd say, hey, Autumn. No, it's Tejal. Tejal, <clears throat> when I was talking about our family getting together, there may be 20 people. That's big, you know, 20 people get together. When Tejal's family gets together, it's like 100, 120 or more. Uncles, aunts, everybody gathers. And Tejal was the only one in her family saved. We were talking about it last night or this morning. You think she'll have an arranged marriage? No, her parents have finally accepted that she's a Christian. But she would really like to marry an Indian guy for her parents' sake, but one who is a believer. She won't marry someone who's not a believer. You know what? The gospel, and we're going to see this in Acts, it divides people. Some people receive it with great joy, and others get so angry about the message that they want to kill the one who's telling it. The gospel is powerful 
in many ways. The way that Luke describes Jesus' ministry with his disciples, there's a strong implication that the book of Acts continues to be about Jesus' teaching and his ministry, even after he goes back to heaven. Only now, the ministry of teachings, the ministry and teachings of Jesus come through his 11 disciples at first, and then it moves out to 120 men and women, and then it expands, and it continues to expand to this day, to, to, to the place that all of us who know Jesus continue the work of Jesus in the world today. But it's really the Holy Spirit that is driving that ministry. Kingdom growth was accomplished only through the ministry of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is, in fact, ultimately the Spirit doing the work. We are just very privileged and blessed messengers. All through the book of Acts, we're going to see all three members of the Trinity engaged in the work of the kingdom as the gospel advances. The Father is the grand architect of salvation. Now, if you have any question about that, just go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is saying, Is there any other way? Father, please let this cup pass from me. And the Father says, This is the way. And Jesus says, Nevertheless, your will be done. Okay, I accept it, Father. Jesus, we are told in Colossians 1, is the exact representation of the invisible God. And all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him. I've heard theologians say that Jesus is the only representative of God, the only member of the Trinity that we will see all through eternity. Now think about it. I mean, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 4, Ezekiel 1, perhaps we get a a glimpse of God the Father, and we recognize in these visions that there's some vague appearance of a human, but it blurs very quickly. God the Father is transcended. He is, he's just, he's, he's so holy and distant, and all of the Trinity is the same way, holy as far as holy is concerned. But Jesus is near to us. He's the one who came to earth, who understands all our trials and our temptations. The Spirit there's no indication the Spirit came as a dove at Jesus' baptism, but we really don't get the sense that we will ever see the Holy Spirit as a person. Um, and with all the problems in the book, The Shack, and I know it was encouraging to some of you, and I understand that, I understand why, because it indicates that God is so near. But you know what? In, re- in the Scripture, God is near through the person of Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. It comes back to Him over and over again. In Acts 4.12, we're told that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Then there's the Holy Spirit moving in the hearts of men and women to open their eyes to truth and to lead them to salvation in Jesus through repentance of sins and faith in Jesus' death. The Holy Spirit is the primary agent of the Godhead at work. Since Jesus ascended back to heaven, the Holy Spirit is the one who's the primary agent of the Trinity at work in our lives here on the earth. But remember, the Holy Spirit is fulfilling God the Father's plan. God the Father is the architect of salvation. The Holy Spirit's fulfilling that. And He's also pointing people to and glorifying Jesus. Are we grateful for the Holy Spirit's work? Absolutely. And in these last 
couple of hundred years, the church is more aware of the Spirit than we ever have been before, and that's a good thing. But remember, the Spirit's role and job is to point people to Jesus. In John 14, verses 25 to 26, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing in the book of Acts. Thus the teachings of Jesus continue in Acts. And because Scripture is eternal, by and through the Word, they continue today as we share the Word with others. There's no question that Acts is a, is a mixture of history and theology. When we think about Acts, though, we tend to think of experiential Christianity. We, we, we think of the Holy Spirit as the one who gives, is the emotional part of the, of the Trinity, and He's the one who, who gives us feeling and puts this great desire and passion in our hearts, and that's true, certainly. But many people tend to elevate experience above truth and above theology, whether they say so or not. You ever had somebody say, well, the Lord led me to do this, or the Lord led me to straighten this thing out or that thing out? I tell you this, I have gone to people and said, and felt just absolutely that the Holy Spirit wanted me to say something, and then later thinking, you know, maybe that wasn't the Holy Spirit. Maybe that was an unholy spirit. Maybe that was Brad's spirit. You ever tried to tell somebody who says, this is what the Lord led me to do? Well, I hear what you're saying, but that's against Scripture. Scripture doesn't move us in that way. And they say, hey, I prayed about it. The Lord told me. Now, how are you going to answer that? The Holy Spirit led me. Look, if it ain't according to Scripture, the Holy Spirit didn't lead you. It's just the way it is. The Holy Spirit's the one who wrote the Bible, for goodness sakes. And the Bible is full of principles that can be applied in a lot of different ways. But there are boundaries. And when we get outside of those boundaries of Scripture... We get in trouble. Not all the experiences in Acts can be taken as normative. And whether you understand what I'm talking about or not, it's important. And we will discuss this. In other words, you say, well, God worked this way in in the book of Acts, so he's going to always work this way. No, not necessarily. We'll have plenty of opportunity to think about that as we go. You know, there's far more theology in Acts than you might think. Um... If Acts had been written in the last 200 years and we didn't know who the author was, I would guess that we would need to go to Australia to start our search. I mean, I would think it had to be an Australian who wrote this. I'm married to an Australian, in case you don't know. And we went to Australia in July. And one of the things that I learned in um, Australia, just like Americans love hamburgers and hot dogs, Australians love speeches. I mean, everywhere you turn, are you giving the speech? Are you give, I mean, any, t- any function that's together. If more than two people are there, it calls for a speech. And, you, you know, you work on it and you get it all together. You know how many speeches there are in Acts? 32. Ten of them are major, are long. Peter had three, Stephen had one, Paul had six. Over and over in Acts, you see activities and events given little attention, and theology given more attention. Activity down, preaching up. I kind of like this pattern here, you know. Preaching is lengthened, long, 
And it's time for me. I, I'm not having the same problem in the second service that I did in the first. It's time for me to quit. The point is in Acts, as we see all over Scripture, that the Word needs to inform how we live. The Word speaks to our experiences, not the other way around. Sometimes things happen that are out. I don't have a category. I don't have a biblical category. Do I think the Lord did them? I do. But I don't ever encourage anybody else to look for God to work in this way or that way. Because God stays pretty, He stays tightly within. He can, he can do anything He wants to, but He just he stays within the Word. It's the way that He works. Jesus taught His disciples for 40 days, and just before He left, they still were confused about Israel. Are you going to restore now the kingdom of Israel? We're going to talk about this a little more next week. The disciples were still thinking about the special relationship that the nation of Israel enjoyed with God. He's the Messiah. He's going to restore it. But they were also thinking in terms of military rather than spiritual movement of the kingdom of God. It's understandable that they weren't thinking Gentiles. It would be some maybe 10 years later before the Gentiles are told the gospel. <clears throat> but they're thinking God's going to get things straightened out and then I'm, Jesus is going to be on the throne and Israel's going to be king of the hill, top of the heap. We're back where we belong. Jesus is saying, look, you're asking, is God going to restore the, the kingdom right now? It, that's not... It's not for you to be concerned about. Don't worry about it. Norma Callahan, where's Norma? We agreed, we agreed that, you know, we hope the Lord comes back in the next two weeks before she has to get another shot in her eye. I mean, I, I'm telling you, <clears throat> take me now, Jesus, if they're going to have to do that. And yet, we don't get to say about that. The Lord says, you just focus on what you're supposed to do now, which is to be my witness. You tell others about Jesus and let God take care of those things. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you in an entirely new way. And then you're going to be my witnesses, both here in, this, in, in, in the town and in the county, then in the state, then all over the country, then all over the world. That's the way I've designed for it to go. Why? Because God's kingdom is bigger than our little worlds. Wow. Think about the sermon in that. God's kingdom is bigger than our little worlds. It's universal and we have the great privilege of telling the world about Jesus. Well, as we close, let's look at those seven Principles again, and since you had time to write, we're just going to read them. I'm not going to comment. The importance of theology in the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom. The importance of theology in relation to our spiritual experiences. The call for all Christ followers to share the gospel with the lost. The absolute necessity of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit in all kingdom matters. The call for all Christ followers. And by the way, kingdom matters ought to be everything that we do. It ought to be a part of everything that we do. The call for all Christ followers to fully share their lives with one another. The need to open our arms to welcome new members into the body of Christ. 
and the need to protect the unity of the body. It is, after all, the body of Christ. And we're right back where we started. Let's get all in. That's what Acts calls us to. You know what happened yesterday when I was there watching that drum line and I was watching this guy? He did that for a while. But then after a while, he was into it just like everybody else. And that's what happens, isn't it? You focus on Jesus. You get what he wants you to get out of this study of Acts. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to be contagious. And you cannot help but get on fire if you really study this book like God intended for it to be, like it was written. Let's pray. Father, not only do we need you, we, we confess that we are, are, are so self-absorbed. Lord, <coughs> I am chief among the self-absorbed. Please forgive me and draw me to the fire of Jesus. It's your plan, Father. Your Holy Spirit carries it out and you shake the places where we humble ourselves, we repent of our sin, and we call on you for the power of the Word to be, to go forth and we pray for boldness. Boldness, first of all, to get all in. And then, Lord, to do our part in advancing the gospel. You have the important part. But, oh, my goodness, what a privilege to be the carriers of this message. In Jesus' name.